0: Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday or week. If you haven't enjoyed the last weekend, I don't know what to say to you. The weather in early November in upstate New York has just been fabulous. And today we are looking like we're going to be blessed with another amazing weather day. Hopefully you got to get out and enjoy it. The election appears to be behind us, so maybe not totally. That was uh, an interesting part of the week as well. The election day is now an election week. It's like, you know, the young kids with their birthday weeks, they no longer have a birthday. They celebrate all week. Now we have elections all week and maybe all month and maybe for a couple months. But looks like we have a new president. So I hope we can all come together, regardless of belief, and support this president to bigger and better things for our great country. Let's hope for that. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, so make sure you give a thought to what freedoms we have and how we get those freedoms. Appreciate what is done for us by the veterans and the men and women who serve in our military. It's, it's such a great, great thing that we have. Let's not take it, take it for granted. This is a sports podcast, so let's talk some sports. And Of course, we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. Bills get a win over Seattle on Sunday that, frankly, I didn't see coming. Seattle comes in with Russell Wilson, and he is just, if not the best quarterback in the NFL, he's top three. It's he, Mahomes, and you figure out who third is because I think that is a weekly position. Aaron Rodgers one week, Brady last week. We'll see who goes in there. But Russell Wilson's just been great in in his career. It appears to be getting better. And when the Bills had this game on the docket, I'm thinking, I don't see it. Because I think you have to outscore Seattle. When they got the great opening kickoff from Andre Roberts, and I think something needs to be said about Roberts as a tone setter. This is the second time I felt that his kickoff return ignited a spark. It did so in the second half a couple weeks ago against the Jets. did so again this week, he is one of those players who has the ability to change momentum with his play. And, and he did so initially with that great opening kickoff return. Bills take it, go down, get the finish right away to, I say, McKenzie. Allen sharp on the drive. Defense holds. Get it back. Go down and score up 14 to nothing. And you're thinking, all right, the only – thing that's not strange in western New York right now is not just the weather. It's how good the Bills' offense look. I understand Seattle's defense is bad. And I understand Seattle's defense did not have a very good plan. I was shocked to hear Pete Carroll's comments of, we thought they would run the ball more. If you've watched all year long, the only game that the Bills really went to the running game predominantly, was the previous week against the Patriots, and that was because Belichick forced them to do so. And if you listen to last week's podcast, I credited Brian Dable for taking what the defense gives him, attacking the opportunity. And, and that's what he did with New England. Required patience, and it required going against maybe what you want to do. But you have to be able to do both run the football, and pass the football. I've said it multiple times on this podcast. And the Bills are showing an ability to do so. But watching Sunday, the more I watched, the more I thought about the game, and the more the game played out, I think the Bills' defense was actually the key to this game, not the Bills' offense. And we haven't said that a whole lot this year. A.J. Klein, the game he had, was really impressive. Russell Wilson threw for 390. He had to throw it 41 times, but he turned the ball over four times. He he was under pressure by Jerry Hughes and others for much of the day. But A.J. Klein's two sacks, including the sack, force fumble, recovery, were such game-changing plays. Tredavious White reading Wilson, dropping out of coverage, to provide a little bit of a flat area coverage and get an interception, return it right down inside the five, those plays change the game. I thought Tremaine Edmonds played his best game of the year this year. The injury, maybe it was a factor, maybe it's healing, whatever the case, that was the player I expected to see when Edmonds was drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. We haven't often seen that. But he was all over the field. He was impactful. He had 11 tackles, had a sack, was in pass coverage. It's great to see without Matt Milano that Klein had his by far best game of his season with the Bills. And Edmonds, I thought, did as well. If you remember before the game, Matt Milano went on IR. He'll miss at least three games. So it's going to be a work in progress still with the Bills linebackers. But I thought they did something really well. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde continue to play great as a tandem at the safety position. They continue to make plays. Poyer gets an interception. But I I just think that the Bills' defense is starting to find its groove. Jerry Hughes is the key up front. His constant pressure is allowing others to get sacks. And I think as this defense grows, we've seen the growth from the offense from the outset of the season. This is a dangerous football team. And the Bills are 7 and 2 and frankly the Dolphins are 5 and 3 so the AFC East is not it's not just a Bills division right now. The Patriots although they got some you want to call it a win go ahead what they got last night against the Jets was interesting. They're 3 and 5. I don't see the Patriots being a factor, but I sure do see the Dolphins being a factor and I think the Bills need to continue to get through this. I talked about Josh Allen, and Allen was 31 of 38, 415 yards. He had three touchdown passes, ran for another. The accuracy was uncanny. In the first half, I believe it was 268 yards he threw for, almost 300 yards in the first half. You don't do that in an NFL game. Allen had two incompletions at one point late in the first half. This is a kid we've been talking about now since he came out of Wyoming to Buffalo as can he get it, can the accuracy, can all of these questions that have been coming over and over and over again. And people didn't believe in him before the draft. Josh Rosen, most pro-ready. Sam Darnold, most can't miss. Lamar Jackson, best athlete. And Baker Mayfield, you know, everyone loves what he brought. The next Brett Favre. Look at that class now, three years later, re-rank them. And Lamar, who I thought got back to doing what Lamar should be doing on Sunday, is, has an MVP under his belt. He's also struggled to come from behind. And I also feel he's still a much better athlete than he is a quarterback. And I think he'll grow into that. And I'm not dogging Lamar. I just think that, you know, before we put him in, in Canton, he needs to progress. The other three, Baker, the jury's out. He's having a better year this year. He had a good rookie year. But I think there's work to be done. You think about Sam Darnold, I don't know. I really don't. Joe Flacco last night ran the Jets offense better than Sam Darnold has all year. And if Joe Flacco's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold right now, then Sam Darnold is one of the biggest draft whiffs we've seen in a long time. And, of course, Rosen is on essentially the practice squad. Down in Tampa. So, you know, I think people are trying to get over their pre-draft intuitions of Josh Allen. I also think that people are holding on to that in hopes that he continues to fail. But we are through nine games of this season, 68.9% completion percentage. I, for one, have said a number of times, I don't ever see Josh Allen as a 70% completion guy, simply because I don't believe He's going to throw enough short passes to pad that statistic. He's going to throw the ball down the field. 2,587 yards through nine games. That's unbelievable to me at this point of the year. He is 502 yards off his career high he set last year in 16 games. He's going to end up somewhere in the low fours at worst for season total and yardage. And I didn't think Josh Allen was that guy. 19 touchdowns, five interceptions. Double that or get close to mid-30s, 35 touchdown passes for Josh Allen in his third year? I would have never bought into it. But here he is with a 107.2 quarterback rating. He's third in the league in yards at this point, sixth in completion percentage, which may be the most astounding statistic he's achieved he's fifth in touchdowns and eighth in quarterback ratings Bills have found their franchise quarterback and he's doing great things with this team and in this team and it's it's a group that is growing together and you see it you look at Stefan Diggs I didn't know what to expect when the Bills got Diggs and I thought they gave up too much well we all did right Give up a first and a fourth, and DeAndre Hopkins, who I thought was a much better receiver, went for a second. And David Johnson, I thought, what's being doing? Well, there couldn't have been a better fit. His attitude, his ability to compete, his competitiveness is just something that's bringing this team along with him. And he and Allen clicked early and have clicked often. Bigs. On Sunday, had nine catches for 118 yards, seemed to be open all afternoon. And if your best player is open all day, one of two things. Either the defense isn't doing their job, which we can talk about that. Seattle's defense was not very good. Or that player is special. And when it comes to Diggs, who's now leading the league in receptions and leading the league in yards, he is special as far as his route running. I want you to listen to Der- Daniel Jeremiah, who is one of the scouts that I listened the most to, talk about how great of a route runner Stefan Diggs is and what it meant, especially
1: in this game against Seattle. Look, I mean, Josh Allen getting out there. First of, <laughs> of all, having a nice weather day was yeah. was elated, and then he, Brian Dable decides going to let him throw it every place. So Josh Allen was the big winner. Uh, but we go to the eye in the sky. I can show you when you have route runners and guys that create separation, all you want to see is man coverage. And they've been seeing a lot of zone lately. Stephon Diggs, you want to play him man to man, which the Seahawks did on forty five percent of their snaps. Some form of man coverage. Look at this hesitation release here. How smooth is that? And you've got about six, seven yards worth of separation on a, on a crosser working against DJ Reed. I mean, that is uh, th- that's some clinic tape here. I actually saw some college receivers retweeting this, how much they enjoyed it and they can learn from it. Then you're going to put Jamal Adams in the slot against Diggs. He's going to lunge at him. You can just barely see it outside the screen here. He misses the jam, and then when you see the head of Diggs, he sells this and watch the separation. He already got his hand up. He knows this route's over. Jamal Adams putting him in that spot is that's not his fault. He has he doesn't belong in there trying to cover somebody like Stephon Diggs in man coverage. But again, forty five percent of the snaps you want to play this group with these skill guys with John Brown and Diggs and Beasley, they're built to beat that type of coverage. It was it was a bizarre game plan for me that the Seahawks had defensively. Red. It's
0: a fantastic addition for this Bills team, and what it's done is. It's freed up John Brown, who had 99 yards on eight catches on Sunday. It's freed up Cole Beasley in the slot, who's having just a tremendous year. Gabriel Davis, the rookie, had another nice day Sunday, touchdown pass among his 70 yards. This is a very good receiving group with a true number one. And Allen is doing a great job of distributing the ball, keeping plays alive, I still think the offensive line is a work in progress, especially at the guard positions because of injuries. Cody Ford wasn't great before the injury, but now you start bringing in guys and you've got Mitch Morris out, John Feliciano again, up at, up off the IR to play center this week. And it's just a group that seems to play well together. Now, this week's game is out at Arizona, and Kyler Murray is just another phenomenal Young quarterback. The league is becoming overrun with guys like Murray and Allen, all these young guys who are learning the position, who are fearless, athletic, just a, a joy to watch. And, and it is so interesting at this time with the way the NFL is going. Breeze and Brady are in their 40s on their way out. Rogers having a bit of a rebirth. Roethlisberger is what he is at this point. But, man, the league in good hands, in my opinion, with all these good young quarterbacks. Bills fans, if you have not watched Kyler Murray on Sunday, you're going to see a guy who I believe is the fastest quarterback ever to play the game. I always thought Michael Vick was the fastest, and then along came Lamar, and Lamar is just such a freak athlete. You watch him play, his ability, his, his gracefulness. But what Kyler Murray does in his – short strides he's short in stature so it's a smaller guy but he just his quickness his elusiveness he just looks at a different level than everybody else and he throws an amazing ball it's it's fun to watch him play quarterback I'm a little nervous about this trip out to the desert coming off of two huge wins the bye week is on the other side if the bills can go into that bye week at eight and two. Boy, I, th- I really am starting to believe that anything in this postseason is possible. I don't know right now that this team stacked up against Kansas City could beat them, but at the same time, I think they could beat everyone else in the AFC. And if Casey doesn't come in with their best game, I think the Bills can beat them as well. They're playing that well, and and, and again, as the defense grows. And I think that's the ultimate decider on this team. As the defense grows, this team also will continue to prosper. So that's the Bills game on Sunday. There's one footnote to the game, and it's you know, not really a footnote, I guess. That's probably a callous way of saying it. Josh Allen played with an extremely heavy heart. His grandmother had passed away the day before the game. And anytime you have a loss, especially This year with COVID, Josh probably didn't get to see his grandmother as much over the last six or eight months because of travel and all that. It's got to hurt. I mean, it always hurts. And and, and I'm sure in this time, in this year, things seem to hurt a little bit more. So Allen played the game, played with a heavy heart. After the game, his teammates rallied around him. Was Just, again, the closeness of this team. But Bill's Mafia is an organization started by a guy, Del Reed. And they really got traction when uh, Undertaker from from Texas, who went as Pancho Bila to the games, when he contracted cancer and the Bills Mafia supported him through his battle, I thought is when Bills Mafia was something that we knew about. And we've seen things from Bills Mafia. Yeah, they're the crazy guys jumping through the table and partying and all the things that Kim and Terry Pagula don't want us to think about. But they're also the ones that when Andy Dalton led a drive that allowed the Bills to break their playoff drought, Bills Mafia donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to a children's charity in Andy Dalton's name. They do amazing things. Well, after Allen's grandmother's passing became public, Bill's Mafia jumped on board and decided they were going to do something about it and make donations to a children's hospital in Josh's grandmother's name. As of this morning, over $200,000 have been raised in Josh Allen's grandmother's name for a children's hospital. Yeah, jump through all the tables you want. You know, it's funny how we immediately perceive people and sometimes negatively so because of what they're doing and how they act well sometimes people are having fun and doing something that maybe doesn't portray them in the best light or in the real light. and then there's moments like this where we don't know who these people are who have donated the money but it's just a great story and when Tyron Matthew, the great safety of the Kansas city chiefs tweeted out the other day, Bill's mafia, you're the real deal. The best you think of the perception around the league of Buffalo, you know, it's a small town, it's cold, it's snowy. Who wants to go to Buffalo? The fans are helping change their, that perception of that town throughout this league. And I think it's an amazing accomplishment that they're doing. And I just I can't say enough great things about the leaders of that organization and how they are finding ways to, to raise money for charity and, and people benefit. And it is just amazing. And, you know, you think about Josh Allen long-term, Jim Kelly still is a God in Buffalo. Josh Allen may never have to buy another beer in Buffalo, frankly. He is going to be the guy going forward, face of the franchise, and as these things play out, there's always going to be ups and downs in careers, and I'm sure there are years that people will look at Allen and be like, "Eh, the same way they did with Jim Kelly back in the day. How many times when the Bills are going to four Super Bowls were people saying they should play Frank Reich? Well, look at Kelly now when he's in Buffalo. Josh Allen's going to be that guy. But I also think that, like Kelly, Allen will forever hold a special, unique place, hold Buffalo in a special, unique place in his heart. It is just great to see, and the people of Western New York, props to you. So the Bills, 7-2, and two, bring on Arizona. Let's see what can happen next. The rest of Week 9 was interesting, and i got to start with this, the COVID part of the story because we're in 2020 COVID's part of every story. And we certainly knew in sports COVID was going to be part of it. And it's almost like what happened in baseball. If you remember when baseball started, there were a few positive tests. The Marlins had an outbreak. The Cardinals had an outbreak. Should they shut it down? What's going to happen? And eventually baseball leveled off. And when a player tested positive, he was removed from the equation they continue to play games, continue to test, and move forward. Well, the Titans had their outbreak, and everyone started freaking out. The Patriots had a few players, games postponed, shuffled. It seems to me that the NFL leadership is doing a lot of the same things that Major League Baseball's leadership did, where now you're having people test positive, removing that player or that team official from the equation, continue to test, and continue to move forward. It worked in baseball, and I think it's starting to level out a little bit in football. I know we're seeing a huge spike in corona cases locally, nationally. Let's hope it continues, but I really think that they've gotten an idea of how to handle things when people test positive and how to quarantine groups, close contacts, and things like that. And I I do think at this point we're more than halfway through the season. I do think they're going to get this season in. It may be delayed a week, the Super Bowl. It may not be played on time. But I think this season's going to get in, and that wasn't something I was confident in through the first couple months of the season. But it's, it's starting to look like they have a very good plan. And the plan is better because of how they're handling the positive cases, in my opinion. Ravens get a good win. I mentioned it earlier. Lamar Jackson going back to last year a little bit. 19-23, 170 yards against a very good Indianapolis defense. He ran for 58 and a touchdown. Don't ask Lamar to be something he isn't. And, and we make a big deal out of things that guys can't do. Well, Lamar went traveling traveling at halftime. He's never brought his team back. Yeah, okay. Would you want him to be your starting quarterback? Well, yeah, but no. Stop worrying about what guys can't do and continue to work and put them in position where they can do what they do well. And I think that's what John Harbaugh and Greg Roman are are trying to get back to with Lamar Jackson. Stop worrying about throwing the ball down the field to wide receivers. Continue to work through your tight end and your running game, let Lamar Jackson win games. And for the Colts, I say this, I think, about every week. As good as this team is, with Phillip Rivers at the helm, they're not a team that I worry about going anywhere this year. In the future, they get another quarterback in there, maybe a Matt Ryan next year, something like that. Watch out for the Colts because that's a very good football team. The Chiefs beat Carolina 33-31, to and Patrick Mahomes is close to being to the we underappreciate him stage. I use LeBron James as the measuring stick. LeBron should be, would be, the MVP in the league every year if anyone else had a year like LeBron has every year. Every year somebody has a LeBron-like year, and we give them the MVP because look at what they've done. LeBron does that every year. Patrick Mahomes is getting to that point. He threw for 372 yards on Sunday, four touchdowns. It was like, oh, yeah, those are big numbers. And it's like, yeah, whatever. It's just, you know, Mahomes, they won. The other side of the coin or other side of the field, if you will, is Teddy Bridgewater for Carolina. Matt Rule, by the way, the guy I think is doing a great job in Carolina, building something there. They had McCaffrey back, looks like he's going to miss some time with a shoulder injury. But watching Teddy Bridgewater at the end of that game fight for yardage with his legs, just bringing the team back. Teddy is a guy who I don't know long-term if he's going to be the guy in Carolina. You'll have to see what happens in the draft. But this is a heck of a story. For him to almost lose his leg after a practice injury, a freak practice injury, Come all the way back and to be balling out the way he is. What a great story. What a great kid. And frankly, what a great player. There are a lot worse options in the NFL at quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know that I put him as a great quarterback, but you can win a lot of football games with a guy like that, and especially with an attitude like that. When it's fourth and 14 and you're diving five yards for the first down, you can quarterback my football team anytime. The Vikings win again. They're building back to respectability. The 3-5 and now, I think it's too little too late, but maybe can sneak in if the NFL continues to add playoff teams, which they seem to want to do. But Dalvin Cook is the story in Minnesota. This week, over 200 yards, another pair of touchdowns. Just watching this kid, again, I've said this a few times. I remember watching him at Florida State and thinking, that kid's a star, He should be the first running back taken Well, he slides into the second round, apparently because of some character issues gets a contract extension earlier this year. And he's been better and better since he signed that got his money and got better. Doesn't happen all the time. Titans beat the bears. The bears are just a team I'm not buying into, but every week they play tough and I'm going to give Nagy credit for that. I don't think they have their quarterback situation under control Nick Foles is a guy who can win games, but I don't think he's a guy you want, win, want to be the answer. And I don't think the Bears have surrounded him with a tremendous amount of talent. David Montgomery always seems to be hurt, always seems to be digged. The Titans are a win-ugly group anyway. Tannehill may have leveled off a little bit, but they're at 6-2. and two. They have that tiebreaker over the Bills. They're going to be a team to keep an eye on going forward. That's going to be a pain in the ass for the Bills, I think, come playoff time. Raiders beat the Chargers. And if you're a Chargers fan, man, you got my sympathies. They got the best uniforms in the league. The best young quarterback, I think, best rookie quarterback this year is Justin Herbert. He is so good and take nothing away from Joe Burrow, But if I was choosing for the next 10 years, I'd probably choose Herbert over Burrow. Last week, they lose in the last play of the game. This week, they think they won on the last play of the game. Replay overturns it correctly, and and they lose again. This is a team that just can't find a way to win. And unfortunately, former Bills coach Anthony Lynn is probably going to take the fall for this year. It's going to be a bad year at at season's end for the chargers they're going to go in a different direction most likely but there are a lot of good things a lot of good pieces in place in la with the chargers i got to think that's a very attractive job if it opens up i just feel bad because anthony lynn's a guy i like a lot i think he's a good football coach but it's a results-oriented business and if you're not getting the results you're out Raiders get another win. Gruden's doing a really good job with that team. And Derek Carr did something that I didn't think he had in him, diving over a defender to get a first down. This is a kid who's now competing. He's all in. I, I had questions about Carr coming into the year. I still don't think he's a great quarterback. But, man, you could play behind a guy who's diving like that with him and Josh Jacobs. They've got a very solid building block with the Raiders. The matchup of young quarterbacks was fun to watch between Miami and and Arizona. Murray and Tua were just great, and they both put on a show. And Tua, in his second start, showed a lot of the things that I'm sure the Dolphins saw at practice that made you want to put him out on the field. As good as Fitz was playing, it's tough to deny Tua's potential. He threw for 248 yards, two touchdowns. Kyler Murray. Only five incompletions, three touchdowns, over 100 yards rushing, another TD. These, this young quarterback group is fun to watch. Steelers, I, I, I did find this funny that people were dogging the Steelers, for struggling to beat the Cowboys on Sunday. The Cowboys, of course, just not a good football team, bad organization, headed up by a clown show in Jerry Jones. But the Steelers are now undefeated, and it's that a bad thing? We're questioning how good are the Steelers. Well, they're better than the eight other teams they played so far. So to me, that's a pretty good team. I'll I'll take that. You know, if you win every game you play, I don't think it's our job to question how good you are. Ben Roethlisberger got dinged in that game, and Ben, yes, he's a bit of a drama queen when it comes to injuries, but he is a tough quarterback. He's also a guy who could get things done. They got it done against the Cowboys. Minka Fitzpatrick was in the middle of everything defensively yet again. That kid's a stud. That's a trade that I think worked out for both teams and long-term with T.J. Watt, and Minka Fitzpatrick, Bud Debris, studs on that D-line. That Steelers defense is going to be special for years to come. And then the Sunday night game, I got to talk about this because this is one of those – Look at it as a very good game down in Tampa. Saints, Bucks, probably for the division if the Saints win because they already beat the Bucks. Brady's playing well. They got everything going. AB's back. Well, you talk about laying an egg in a big game. And how often do you say that about Tom Brady in his career? I, I know every time he does this, everyone jumps to the well, you know, look at him. He's 30, he's 43 years old. What do you expect? And I think that way, too. I don't know that Brady is going to be Tom Brady in a usual manner. But there's going to be moments where he's very good. But as Sunday showed us also, there's going to be moments that he's not very good at all. I think this is a situation when you look at the Bucs and you look at Brady, they're going to be good. They're going to be a tough out but I don't think they're in any way the favorite to get through the NFC and represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I think the Saints are a better team. I think that when you start to look at the Western Division, I know Seattle's defense was awful, but if Seattle and Tampa played, who would you bet on, Russell Wilson or Tom Brady? I know where I'd go with my money for sure. So there's a lot going on, and and there's Green Bay as well, who looked very good on Thursday night out against San Francisco. And to me, the Packers are the best team and the most complete team in the NFC. So keep an eye on Brady. I don't think it's over, but I don't think the storybook ending's coming anytime soon either. So that's the professional side of football, college football. It's funny with the college football playoffs. I've always felt this and Dan Patrick has said it and I agree with him. College football playoffs are a reality show. Let's face it. You're you're picking teams. You have a formula, but you're picking teams because you want people to watch your TV show. There are two games that'll be on New Year's Day and then, couple of 10 days later is going to be the championship game. But you want ratings because you want to be able to sell your advertising. And in this day and age, ratings have never been more important than they are right now. Selling is impossible in this environment. So the ratings are going to be huge. Well, which college football team do you think, just think about it for a second, can instantly add ratings to the college football playoff? Is there one team or one program that you think draws more eyeballs than any other? It's a Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They have their own essential network TV package with NBC. They are the most popular team. They're the Yankees. They're the Cowboys. They're America's college football team in Ireland's too, if you will. But Notre Dame and Clemson on Saturday night, an ACC matchup that was great. Trevor Lawrence and three starters were out for Clemson, so they weren't going to be at full strength. But the kid behind him, the young freshman, DJ Ugale I can't even say his name. I'm not even going to start. DJ is just a stud of a freshman quarterback. A year ago, this kid's playing high school. Saturday night, he throws for 439 and two touchdowns against Notre Dame. Game goes into second overtime. Notre Dame gets the win. Ian Book was great, 310 yards, couple really tough runs. Kyron Williams, running back, a kid who I – the more I watch this kid, the more I like how he plays. 140 yards, three touchdowns. MD gets a huge, huge win. I don't remember the last time that program had a win of this magnitude. It's funny, the student section, the students that were there, they stormed the field. I don't think that's probably COVID correct policy, but you know what? Saturday night, it seemed pretty cool to see a bunch of 20-year-old kids jumping around with masks on, hugging each other, being real happy about what their football team accomplished. I thought that was one of those moments, yeah, we probably shouldn't have, but at the same time, normalcy sometimes looks pretty cool, and that's what I thought about Notre Dame. And now they put themselves squarely in the conversation for – the playoff. Notre Dame is at 7-0. They're likely going to win out. I say likely. They're at Boston College, and V.C.'s not a great football team, but they always give Notre Dame a good game. At North Carolina, another pretty good football team the following week, and then they finish up at Syracuse, who is just simply not a good football team. So three games left to finish the slate at 10-0. I believe Notre Dame does that. I believe then they go to the ACC championship game they where they once again will face Clemson. There will be a one-loss Clemson team. There will be a team quarterback, most likely, by Trevor Lawrence. The defense will be at full strength. It'll be a different team. Now, when you start to look at the play, you've got to find the four teams that fit the pieces of the puzzle. Who are the best four teams in the country? Well, right now, Notre Dame is one of them. You've also got Alabama and Ohio State. The fourth team remains a mystery. In college football, it's not only how you lose and who you lose to, it's when you lose. Notre Dame's loss is going to come late, in my opinion, because I think Clemson beats them in the ACC championship game. So now if you're the committee putting together the playoff, what do you do? Well, here's what I look at happening. Alabama will go through the SEC slate undefeated. They'll likely play Florida in the SEC championship game. Florida's already a one-loss team. Alabama beats Florida. They're a two-loss team. Alabama's in. Florida's out. Ohio State doesn't have a whole lot of competition this year in the Big Ten. I'm sorry. As good as Indiana's been, I'm not buying in. The traditional powers of Penn State and Michigan are having awful years. So I think that you can see a case where Ohio State cruises through the Big Ten. Ohio State's in. That gives you two teams. Now you've got the ACC situation. Of course, Texas and Oklahoma, if they get in with one loss, they're going to play into this as well. But in my opinion, the committee's going to look at Clemson as a team that their one loss was without the best football player in college football. So because of that, we're going to put Clemson in. Now you've got Notre Dame. It's going to be Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame brings a lot to the table, and I think that that is very, very meaningful. So my prediction, way too early prediction, for the college football playoff, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, the same three every year. And I think Notre Dame edges the Big 12 participant, whether it be Oklahoma or Texas or maybe somebody else. I do believe that those four teams are going to be be the ones to get in. Well, this is early November, and it sounds strange saying it, but it's Masters Week. The Dogwoods and the Azaleas, they're not in bloom, but at the same time, the most recognizable golf tournament in our nation takes place this week, seven months after it was initially scheduled. It also is only 244 days before it happens yet again. So it's 144 days. I'm sorry, not 200, 144 days before it happens again. The Masters will look a little different this week. But one thing that won't look different is what the Masters always does best. It always does history better than anyone else. And the tournament is special in part because of the legacy that goes through the tournament. Phil Mickelson, who will play this week, and I I think Phil makes the cut and finishes in the top 25. He'll be around. He knows the course well enough, and he'll hit enough bombs and, and be good. But he's got a great sense of history. And Phil, one thing he does better than any other golfer is contribute to social media with videos That are sometimes poignant, sometimes instructional, sometimes funny. But in this video, Phil Mickelson talks about, and it's pretty cool, just him driving into Augusta up Magnolia Lane and talking about what the masters meant to him through the eyes of two other golfers he idolized.
2: Driving up Magnolia Lane, it's my 28th Masters. It feels like my first. It brings out the kid in me again. Even at 50, I feel young. I can't help but remember and feel the presence of Arnold Palmer and Seve Ballesteros, two of my favorite golfers of all time. My first Masters in '91. The first person I was called to play was Arnold Palmer, and what what a great experience that was! Something I cherish and never forget. You've heard me tell the story on 18, where. He grabbed me and pulled me over and said, right here's where it happened. 1961, when Chuck Cook ended up congratulating him, he had a one-shot lead and he he said, thank you. And he said, I should have gone back and said, it's not over. And he ended up blocking a seven iron into the bunker, blading it across the green, making double and losing to Gary Player by a shot. When I played with Seve my first time, I was 17. He was the, the guy I idolized growing up. And he ended up, Uh, playing a practice round with me in the San Diego Open I was 17 years old and he was so kind to me and to have your hero treat you the way he did and to to not let you down but to be everything you hoped he would be was was something special so I just wanted to say thank you to Seve and Arnold for for being the great men that they were.
0: Pretty cool stuff there from Phil Mickelson. Again, a lot of people are going to want Phil to contend. I don't see it. I don't see his game being there. But at the same time, he will, he knows the course well enough. He'll kick it around and figure it out, figure out a way to make the shots he needs to make to not contend, but finish with a very respectable finish this week. I think the course is going to play slightly different. They're expecting weather, which means softer, which means longer course. You look at Bryson DeChambeau, and you know he continues to try to hit the ball further and further. Not a fan of Bryson. I know he won the U.S. Open and overpowered that course, and he'll likely do the same this weekend. I don't think his putting will help him enough this week, and I don't think it'll win. He'll be there all week, but I also think big hits, big misses. He's going to have a couple big numbers this week that, that may take him out of contention. Another young guy to keep an eye on, played great at the U.S. Open, is Matthew Wolf. I think his game is suited to win a Masters eventually. Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship is somebody who was playing in his first Masters and comes in as a major champion winner. So the young guns look really good there. You've got the breakthrough guys, guys like Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, Ricky Fowler. They've never won a major. Is this their time? You've got the best players in the world who are still there, but where are their games? Guys like Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy. You've got DJ up there as well. But one thing that the the Masters does better than any other, because we all know the course. You go through the back nine right now in your head and and talk about the holes. We all know that. The players know that. And Because of that, the experience, the ability to draw from your past, there are always guys from the back that may not be somebody you think about, but all of a sudden on Sunday – They're in the mix. Like Tiger last year, frankly. You know, guys like Kapka, who hadn't been through the Masters on a Sunday. Well, Tiger had. They hit it in the water on 12. Tiger hits it on the green. That changed that tournament. That allowed Tiger to get the win. Experience. Will Tiger be a factor this week? I don't think he will. I just don't think his game's anywhere near where he needs it to be, I think, like Mickelson, maybe a top 25 st- finish. I'd love to see it, but I just don't see it. Jordan Spieth, another guy whose game isn't quite there. There are two guys, though, actually three, that I think have been there. Two of them have won it. One of them was very close. Jason Day comes in playing pretty well. Injury more of the story with him. I've always thought with how high he hits the ball, Augusta's a course that he'll eventually win on. Hasn't won yet. Been playing better. Keep an eye on Jason Day. The other two guys, and I think one of these two guys ends up winning this week, are both playing well and both played well and won there. Bubba Watson and Patrick Reed. And they may be the guys that nobody wants. I know I certainly don't want them. But they're also guys with that experience to draw on that you think you could probably get away with. And I I think this week, keep an eye on Bubba Watson. As much as I don't want to see it, that's my pick for the Masters. We'll see how it goes. Well, enjoy the golf. Enjoy the week. Enjoy one more day of sunshine and the 70-degree temperatures of western New York. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falking Around Podcast.